for doing that. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 today. So if you want to take your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Two more weeks of the Ecclesiastes, and we're done with that book. It's crazy how fast it went. So as you remember, the, the focus of the, the book is King Solomon and his report back as to what life is really like under the sun, and at times it gets miserable and frustrating, and at times it gets confusing, and, 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 and many times he has told us where to focus and where not to focus, and it's all coming from his own experience. When you get to chapter 11 and chapter 12, it really comes down to the crux of the matter. This is the theme the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Everything has been building to this moment, and, and this moment here in, in chapter 11, um, <laughs> it could get me in some trouble. Those are my favorite kind of messages. How about you? Um, so again, as I, you, you guys are fantastic listeners, but let me encourage you to listen all the way through and not just take a piece of what I say and... Uh, attack it, but instead remember that what I'm trying to do is just show you what Solomon is saying about life and how we should be living. How are you living? It's the first thing that comes to mind when somebody who has a Bible and stands behind a pulpit asks you that question, how are you living? For me growing up, it was not anything other than, am I in sin? Have I done something I shouldn't have done? This guy's on to me. Why does he keep looking at me? Can somebody else cough or something and get his attention? What do you mean, how am I living? Good news. Way more uncomfortable than that this morning. Verse one. Send your bread on the surface of the water. For after many days, you may find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. Okay, I'm going to stop right there because those two verses are incredibly clear. Verse one says, take your bread and chuck it on the water. How many of you did that this week? Feed any ducks? All right, so just to understand what's happening here, what he's saying is take your bread, and their bread would be different than our bread today. Their bread would be much flatter, much more wafer-like, and throw it on the water, and that bread would usually float on top of the water. If you were to take a big old loaf of bread today and throw it out, it probably wouldn't float. Um, the idea of floating bread on the water is an idiom during this time for investing. Investing, particularly financially or with a business venture. And he says, because you don't know the future, you don't know the effectiveness, you don't know the ineffectiveness of your investments, what I want you to do is what verse 2 is saying, invest boldly and invest broadly. Here he says seven Give a portion to seven. Seven in the Old Testament. We don't understand why. There's all kinds of theories out there. There's some crazy people who have come up with some crazy ideas of why seven is the perfect number, why seven is the the number of completeness. We, We don't know why that is. We do know it's a cultural norm for them to speak of the number seven as being that complete number. And for us, that may seem strange until you stop and realize we have the same thing in our culture today. Ready? You're talking to your child who's being rebellious. I'm gonna count to... I was hoping nobody said 10. You say 10, I wish I grew up in your house. We just have numbers, a cultural understanding of a number that that fits into these categories. And so here he says, what I want you to do is take complete investment. Give it to seven. You know what? Not only seven go one more than complete. 
go, forgive me for using a poker term, all in. Give another one. So what in the world is he talking about here? Well, obviously he's talking financially. King Solomon is giving you some financial uh, advice. I I am not going to dive into that today because that is not an area of expertise in any way, shape, or form, both by knowledge or experience. And so I'm just going to say that Solomon's advice here is when you invest, to invest broadly and to invest boldly. Now, the earliest churches looked at this passage not as a picture of financial investment as application, but but as life investment as application. What they looked at this passage as saying is Solomon saying, live your life with incredible boldness. Hold nothing back. Push all in, in your charity to other people. That was the earliest of applications of this passage. Your your charity to other people. Be generous with what it is that God has given you to, to serve other people. Be bold, don't hold back, go all in with this. Relationships, don't, don't be bashful, don't be so inner-focused on yourself and your little clique of friends that you are always hanging out with, but, but, but be bold with your relationships, be far-reaching with your relationships, seek to engage other people with your time, invest boldly with your time. I know, we don't have a lot of it, do we? Make it count, make it count, invest your time, invest your energy, same thing goes there. So verse one, go ahead and and, and throw bread on the waves. You know what one concern would be when you did that? Am I going to get it back? I mean, you never know. I mean, if you go down to the the ocean and you got big waves going and you throw a Frisbee out there, chances are good it's going to come back to shore eventually on the waves, but sometimes it just doesn't. I've told you the story about one of our children who loved playing in the waves on the ocean. We're splashing around, having a great time, trying not to get knocked over by waves. It's our favorite game, especially the bigger the waves get. And so I'm holding hands, and there's a whoosh, kid's gone. Good parenting moment. Kid resurfaces, so I'm not a total failure, without her shorts. Never found them. No idea where they went. But it's the same thing. Cast your bread in the water, am I going to get back? If I invest with boldness financially, if I invest with boldness with my generosity, if I invest with boldness in these relationships or with my time or my energy, am I going to get a return? And honestly, the answer is, don't know. Can't answer that for you. God says do it, so do it. See, so many of us are so cautious, so tame, so reserved. The, 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 the fear of, of failure or the fear of rejection or the, the fear of you losing your bread keeps you from living as God has called you to live. He has called you to live boldly. But you live a safe life in a plastic bubble where you'll never run into risk. And people who, who live in the bubble never fail. But they never succeed either. So what if you do fail? What if in an effort to live boldly and to invest boldly in relationships and in opportunities that their failure comes? What, what happens if you do fail? First way to answer that question. What do you mean if? You will fail. And sometimes it'll be pretty, um, pretty laid back and sometimes it is going to be a big burst of flames. But you will fail. 
Yeah, but they never fail. Well, okay, listen, most people aren't failure-free because they're perfect. It's because they never try to do anything. You believe God is in total and complete control. And even when you go out on a limb, and the limb breaks and you land on your face, well, that's an opportunity for God to shape you, form you into what he wants for you. Like Paul bragging, I'm going to brag, I am so weak, I am so pathetic, I am so able to make a mess of things. And every time I see my weakness and my patheticness and the way that I've messed things up, that gives me an opportunity to drink from the well of God's grace. So when you fail, you shouldn't try to hide from it. Because in your failure, you have an opportunity, a chance come face-to-face with your limitations. And when you come face-to-face with your limitations, you also come face-to-face with his strength. Don't avoid failing. Don't try to fail. I think that should go without saying. Don't try to fail. Don't try to protect your children from failing. That's a controversial statement. I don't care. You know what's happened in our culture today? Moms and dads, in an effort to keep their children from ever feeling like a failure, have started handing out trophies of participation. And what you have done is not prepared them for the real world where nobody cares if you participated. Parents, you're doing your your children a disservice if you're trying to protect them from failure, if you continue to keep that bubble on them, if you helicopter parent them. Instead, what you should be doing is when your children fail, you should come alongside them, you pick them up, you dust them off, and say, all right, why did that happen? What can we learn from it? How is God teaching us in this moment? But you can't do that for your kids if you don't do that for yourself. So live boldly. Solomon tells us next what what is going to keep us oftentimes from stepping out in boldness. Look at verse 3. He says, no, if the clouds are full... They're going to pour out rain on the earth. If a tree falls to the south, to the north, wherever it fell, that's where it's going to lie down. The one who watches the wind will never sow. The one who looks at the clouds won't reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And that evening, don't let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Solomon says, you know what's going to keep you from living boldly? Waiting for the perfect situation to present itself so you can live boldly. When this happens, man, I'm, I'm all in. Now, it used to crack me up. Young married couples uh, used to say oftentimes to us when we'd be working with them, you know, when we're just waiting until we're ready to have children. <laughs> You're so cute. You're never ready to have children. Well, you know, when you stop it. I, I, yeah, good thought. Yeah, no. No, you're just never really ready. For us in living boldly, many of us are waiting for that person to ask us the obvious question, and then we'll tell them about Jesus. We're waiting for the fortune to roll in or that bump in pay before I decide that I should obey God and give. Waiting until I have more time to read the Bible and study and pray. 
I'm waiting till I get my own stuff in order before I reach out and try to mentor or disciple somebody else. I'm waiting for them to be nicer to me before I love and forgive them. See, that's called the safe zone. It's also called disobedience. And when Solomon says, you don't know what the future holds, and that's okay, because our boldness isn't anchored in thinking we will succeed, but in knowing who is in control. Verse 5, he's like, you don't know the path of the wind. You don't know how the, the baby develops within the womb, but God knows all of those things. So that frees you up to live boldly and leave the future up to him. Hold nothing back. That's what he's saying in verse 2. Seven, no, not even seven. Go ahead. Eight, throw it all out there. With boldness, live in boldness. Are you? I mean, I mentioned a few specific applications in your evangelism, in your giving, in your personal study and reading and praying, in your relationships as you seek to mentor and disciple other people, in the areas you need to forgive people. Are you living boldly? Are you holding back so that you don't experience failure? Solomon says, as I've evaluated this entire life under the sun, the one thing that must happen is this, we must live Boldly. Verse 7. Light is sweet. It's pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if somebody lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let him remember the days of darkness, since they will be many. Because all that comes is futile. What Solomon now is doing is he's saying, okay, live boldly, and now I want to talk to a certain group of people. And this is where I need to dance carefully. We're going to call them our seasoned brothers and sisters. Our big brothers and sisters. Our older brothers and sisters. Older is always the bad word. Last time I said that about age and said that about age 60 or 65, I had four ushers threatening to take me out back and whoop me. So i going to be careful how I go with this, so just bear with me. So in verse 7, he's saying, listen, it's so, so very good to see the sun. As a more seasoned follower of Jesus Christ, it's so good to see just another day. So what I want you to do, he says, rejoice in the years you have already lived. It's a fool who lives unaffected and unchanged by the rescue they've experienced. So remember. Remember. And and not only that, remember the difficulties that came throughout your years. Solomon's already spoken to that. I'd rather go to a funeral in a house of dancing. Because at a funeral, I, I get this perspective that elsewhere I'd completely miss. And so in the middle of difficulties, remember those difficulties. Why? He says, because there are many difficulties. There's a lot. And there's more coming. And with each difficulty comes perspective and lessons. It points out the areas of our life where we have been chasing the wind. It points out areas in our life that are actually worthwhile to pursue. And then we get to take those lessons, take those experiences, and share them with other people. So to our more senior saints at Uniontown, make it a point to enjoy every day that God is giving to you. Why do I feel like I have to say this? Number one, Solomon says it. Number two, there is a tendency for our seasoned saints, not just at Uniontown, but anywhere, to begin to lose the light from their eyes. 
So that looks like instead of seeing gifts in their own life and enjoying the gifts that have been given to them, and instead of seeing gifts in the lives of other people and enjoying those gifts in the lives of other people, they begin to take on the identity of the cranky one. And I know you know this because I said it before. Cranky or negative or snarky, those things aren't fruit of the Spirit. As long as you have breath, you're to yield to the working of the Spirit. And as verse 8 says, you're to rejoice in your days. So my big brothers and sisters, avoid the funk. Cease from scowling, run from cynicism, flee gossip and busybodying. Stop being an expert in the deficiencies of the next generations, but instead be one who celebrates their potential, not by passively sitting back, but by living boldly and pouring into them. You know, and I'll make direct application in Uniontown. We have a church, we have a privilege of being in this place that is beginning to fill full with 20 and 30-somethings. That's awesome. You know what a byproduct of that is? A lot of babies. There's babies everywhere and more coming. And we praise God for that. But you know that those 20 or 30-somethings aren't coming in here so they can sit incognito and hide from any life lessons that their older brothers and sisters may have learned already. You big brothers and sisters need to be greeting them, getting to know them, getting to know their stories, and pouring into them. I'm telling you, you all should have a crew. Be careful, I don't want to share too much, but one of my kids has a crew. Call it the granny crew. And it's awesome. And that crew can't look like uh, people your own age that you've run with for the last 40 years. But you should be, have a crew. You're surrounded by younger men or younger women who would love to sit at your feet and learn from your years of wisdom. I mean, we don't want them to surround you because you're funny and snarky and like to blow everybody up. Although that is pretty funny to watch when the filter starts coming off and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, you're, I can't. I hope I'm still preaching when that happens for me. <laughs> Well, we, we don't, we, we, we're not saying that. We don't want you to come alongside and be like, oh, he's so fun to be with. It's such a great, meaningful relationship. We want them to come alongside you because you have washed so deeply in the grace that God has provided for you. We want them to come alongside you because you have lived through, as, as Solomon calls them, the days of darkness, and you've seen what the Bible says is true, but, but maybe us youngins haven't quite experienced yet, that in the darkest of days and the longest of nights, God has never failed you. And he'll never fail them. And so you could sit and share that with them in a way that no one else can. It is imperative for our young people to sit at your feet and hear those stories and see how it's played out in your life. So young people, I'm going to talk to you now. You need this. You need this. You need the seasons of wisdom to be shared with you because, believe it or not, you don't know it all. So you need to approach somebody with humility of soul and ask them to spend a dinner with you. Just teaching you husbands how to love your wives well, teaching you wives how to respect your husband more effectively, teaching all of us how to, how to trust in the Lord in the lean times, how to, how to learn to trust him through the difficulties that life has for you under the sun. We all need spiritual parenting. And in reality, our comfort zone is to run with the people of our same age and same situation, but that's a problem. One of the biggest disasters 
is when a 26-year-old father of toddlers starts instructing another 26-year-old father of toddlers how they should parent. Jesus uses a term for that, blind guides. The front of the bus leading you through DC. On the left, no clue. Straight ahead, are we still in DC? Okay, no idea. And yet somehow we've fallen in our arrogance for the lie that I know enough and don't need anybody else to speak into my life. What we need is our big brothers and sisters to live with boldness and invest in our relationships in a way that brings glory to God, that makes much of Christ and allows each of us to drink deeply of the relational wealth that is intergenerational time together. I don't have a lot of time to jump into this, but I'll just mention it. One of the greatest failures of the church history um, has been when commercial and business ventures in the lives of its people uh, have been so very good that they were able to retire at a certain age from that work. The church looked at that retirement and said, okay, you can retire from here too. There is no retirement in discipleship. In fact, that's the time to invest most. That's a, a gift that God has given you. And, and let, me, let me say this. <laughs> oh, boy. You ain't dead yet. Live boldly until you are. Put that on a coffee cup. <laughs> Reality. All right. Crazy as that is, that wasn't the controversial one. Verse 9. This verse is like, first, you've got to read this one a few times. Rejoice, young person, while you are young. Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. But know that for all those things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart. Put away pain from your flesh. Because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. It's interesting. Solomon's challenge to the Big brothers and sisters was, you ain't dead yet, so live boldly until you are. You know what his challenge to the little brothers and sisters are, is? You ain't dead yet, live boldly until you are. He says, what I want you to do, this is crazy, rejoice, young person, while you are young. I want you to enjoy your youth. Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. I want you to walk in the ways of your heart and the desire of your eyes. You know what Solomon is saying? Ooh, baby, do what you want. Like I said, don't check out yet. Because immediately after he says, do what you want, he says, but remember, God's going to judge. So to fully understand this, what we have to understand is Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's Desired. Now, a lot of people have taken that verse out of context and have uh, manipulated it and massaged it to say, I can get whatever I want from God if I just pull the right chain. But what this verse says is if you delight in him, if you walk with him, if you find joy in him, God's going to change your desires. Augustine, great theologian of old, says this, love God and then do whatever you want. Love God do whatever you want. You know what I love? I love standing up here and watching faces. Because there's, there's probably a good third of you that are like, yeah. And there's two thirds of you that are like, that does not sound right. 
love God, do whatever you want, because there's this thing called a governor, and it's not like the governor of the state, it's the governor on the engine that keeps it within certain limits. There's a governor that's placed on our souls when we love him with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Because if we truly love him like that, love him most, then the desire to please him will create in us new desires. So we love him, we pour ourselves into him, and then we do for joy and pleasure whatever we want. And that still bothers some of us, so let me help you. The idea of pleasure, the idea of pursuing joy, the idea of going after the desires of hearts or whatever our eyes want sounds so totally unchristian and foreign because most of us sitting in this room have been taught either verbatim or through heavy inference that if it feels good, if it's fun, if it's enjoyable, if it makes you happy, you better be careful because it's probably sin. We, we, we've instead lived a life where we're straining at every gnat that flies our way and has led us to become cynical. What we've done is we've fallen for this trap of living by morality instead of living by redemption. Let me explain. Now, what I'm not saying is that we live unholy and immoral lives and that's what God's called us to. That is not what I'm saying. But we live with a different set of lenses if we truly understand the gospel. The moral lens is, is, is this weird concept where you, know, you think that just because, oops, sorry, just because you, you, you don't get wasted and dance on top of a police car with a lampshade on your head that you're doing okay because I don't do those things. Not getting hammered and not sleeping around is not exclusive to Christianity. That's called morality. You want to know, and somebody did this this week at a conference I was at, and I love it. The, the, the picture that I've asked you before, remember? Do you know God loves you? Raise your hand. Come on. <laughs> Whoa. And at 9.59, the entire church raptured in front of Frank. They were no longer there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, okay. All right. How many of you know God loves you? Raise your hand. All right, praise God. All right, put it down, put it down. How many know God likes you? And it's like, the trick question, do you want to know if you're living by morality instead of redemption? For a moment, just, just humor me. I'm totally stealing this. Just humor me and close your eyes. And with your sanctified imagination, I want you to imagine that you are before the throne of God. And seated on his right hand, you see your Savior, Jesus Christ. Imagine, picture, picture, get a picture, get a picture of his face. Get a picture of his face. And now as you lock eyes with Jesus, what does his face look like? Radiant, is he, is he glaring at you? Smirking? unhappy? See, if you're living life with a moral lens, that's the face of Jesus you see. But in his radiance, is he smiling? You, you can open your eyes now. I, I think for me, what the picture that came to mind when I was doing that exercise was, he's, he's not disappointed, but he's got, I guess it would be a smirk that I could relate to. Like, watch this. Because the only way you're coming in is through me. I got you. 
Living life understanding that when Jesus looks at you, he is pleased because of his own righteousness is living life with a redemptive lens. But unfortunately, we have become Christians who are more known for what we don't do than what we do. Young people, Solomon says is live your life with great boldness and live with a confidence that God can be enjoyed, not just endured. This is your time to live. That's what he says. This is your time to live. So live with boldness and confidence and enthusiasm, all the while knowing you want to please him. Love God most, and then do what you want. What you need to understand is that this is freedom for you to, to seek enjoyment under the incredible umbrella of grace that God has given to you. This is freedom. This is different than the way I grew up. And the way I grew up, it was this, this culture that pushed morality on me like chains on a slave. Don't, 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 don't. But make sure the joy of the Lord's on your face. It's not supposed to be like chains. It's supposed to be that feeling of those chains falling off of you. It's supposed to be living like a free man. It's not don't, 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 don't. It's done, 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 and done. Because the same voice that spoke everything into existence breathed out on that cross, it is finished. And if there's no other reason for joy, it's this. He likes you. So live like it. The boldness, the investment, the mentoring, the, the squeezing every drop out of life until it is gone is all possible because of what Jesus did for you. Think about that. In heaven, perfect heaven, the triune God is receiving all the worship. And under the sun, on earth, sin is just growing, growing. God, in his perfect triune nature, looked down under the sun and determined it was time. Jesus Christ left the adoration and glory of heaven to be born to a teenage girl. Helpless, child and he grew among us lived among us and he loved us died to save us he buried carrying our sin away from us and he rose again he rose again so that you and I would know we are free from the sin he died for. And one day, one day, triune God in perfection, in heaven, enjoying the worship and accolades, Father will say, today's the day. 
Jesus Christ is going to come again. The source of our delight and wonder will be before our eyes. We're going to be with him forever. You think there's things here on earth that you enjoy. Just remember, even the most pure and beautiful of things that you get to witness each and every day that reminds you of the power and grace and majesty and might of God, those are still tainted by the fall. So one day, we'll see it as it was meant to be. You want to talk about joy? You want to talk about enthusiasm and boldness? You'll be talking for thousands upon thousands of years. And it will never grow old. That's what God did for us. And unfortunately, we often limit it to just that. He did that for us so that for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, I can be in eternity and enjoy him forever. But for now, I'm just going to grit my teeth, white knuckle it, and try to work through it. Solomon says is, no, 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 no. If you put your hope and your confidence in these things under the sun, well, then you're, you're in trouble. But if you understand that these are the very gifts that God has given to his children who he loves so that you can not only receive the gift but enjoy the gift, well then, my friend, changes everything. And next week, he's going to tell us what his conclusion about life is all about. I hope to see you. But until then, may we live boldly squeeze everything we can out of the life that he's entrusted us with. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us in ways that, that we can't really even understand. God, I ask that you would help us to grasp what it means to live in boldness and, 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 and to really press into life. God, please forgive us for being ungrateful people. Forgive us for being so easily distracted by the things that, that Satan has placed before us so that we would get lost pursuing this and forget how good a gift we have from you. God, I, I pray that this church would be known not just for being a church on a hill, that we would be known as a people who love you most. And as a result, I want to squeeze every moment out of this life that you've entrusted us with. Lord, I ask that today you would use us even to push into the darkness of the kingdom that surrounds us. You would open our mouths. You would give us a boldness and a courage we didn't have before now. Father, may we remember what it is you've done for us and celebrate it and celebrate it well. In Jesus' name I pray.